Our uh, text for this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5, and we'll be reading from verse 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. We have a lot to cover today. And uh, I'm excited about it. So pray that I will be um, speedy and that God would quicken his heart, or our hearts towards his word. This passage is one of those instances where you can follow every exegetical rule, every interpretive method correctly to the T to arrive to an incorrect main point. This is one of these passages that so often we get wrong. Mark, this is one of those Mark and sandwiches that we've seen a couple of times before, all right? Mark has this literary technique where what he does is he combines two stories. He's got this one story in the middle that has the main point. That's that's the story about Jesus and the hemorrhaging woman. And it's sandwiched in between a distinct story, sometimes a a seemingly very unrelated story, uh, which is... the the interaction between Jesus and Jairus. 
The main point of this entire sandwich, of this entire passage, is found there in verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Using correct interpretive methods, the main point that Mark is making here in this sandwich of simultaneous events is that your faith has made you well. This is the main point, but it isn't the main point. It is, but it isn't. Does that make sense? Of course not. So let me explain. The main point of this text is that faith makes you well. But the problem is our understanding of faith and our understanding of what it means to be made well. And if we miss the point of what Jesus is saying here, and we simply take a a very superficial look at this text, we miss what is really happening. We And we inevitably lead people into tragedy. This verse has been abused so many times, leading people into despair and doubt and fear and dread and, 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 and hopelessness. Because they've taken it wrongly. They've taken it at a superficial reading. I mean, could you imagine hearing, listen, if you, if you only have enough faith, then you can be made well. If you only believe, then God will give you what you want. And so you pray desperately over and over and over again. And you beg and you plead and you weep and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And then they respond, well, you must have some hidden sin in your life. This is tragic how this verse is abused. No matter how hard they try, no matter how much they pray and plead or are in desperation, nothing happens. They can't. They don't. They're told that that it's it's sin in their life, and so they give up all hope. Their souls are in absolute anguish because they couldn't muster up for themselves enough faith to be healed. This is sad. This is tragic. That's not what this verse is about. This is one of those passages where you can follow the correct interpretive rules Come to the right conclusion and be utterly wrong. Is this passage really about the woman's faith? Really? Does this passage really say that if you have enough faith, then you will be healed? Well, I'm going to argue that it's not. You see, we want so badly to have control. We want so badly to be able to contribute something to our faith, contribute something to our salvation, that we'll gladly take the superficial reading because that means that if I can do this, then I can have enough faith to justify myself. I can exalt myself. Look at the faith I had. I believed and I was healed. But what about those who have wept and have tried everything over and over and over again and have a true spiritual faith in Jesus, a true understanding of the gospel, and nothing happens. What of them? So I'm telling you right up front that this is not one of those abusive, if you only have enough faith kind of messages. It's not. Instead, I'm going to argue 
that without partiality, despite our feeble faith, Jesus is tender and merciful, extending grace that elicits true faith that brings healing, cleansing, and new life. That's quite a proposition. That's why I made it the main point. So that's, that's the trajectory. That's where we're going. So first, Jesus shows no partiality. Verse 21 picks up where we left off two weeks ago. Right? Uh, Jesus had, had gone across the Sea of Galilee into Gentile territory, and immediately he's encountered by this man with a legion of demons, this sociopathic madman running around in his birthday suit. Remember that? And Jesus speaks just a few words, and this guy, he's freed. Suddenly, he believes. Right? Suddenly, this legion of demons, they go into the pigs, the pigs run down the hill, they drown, and that's it. And the people from the countryside, they, they either saw or they heard, and they all gathered around, and they see this, this formerly perverse madman now sitting clothed and in his right mind, and they see the pigs floating down there in the sea, and they're afraid. And they ask Jesus to leave. And so no sooner than he got there, and performed this one miracle, Jesus gets back in the boat and he heads back across the Sea of Galilee, back into Jewish territory. And that's what we have here. And Jesus had crossed again in the boat on the other side and a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Jesus returns right to where he left off, right over there. The crowd, you kind of wonder if they even departed. You wonder if Jesus even went back to the very same place where he had left them. We talked before about the problem of this great crowd, right? That there's, here's this huge group of people, this polyplethora that's, that's gathered around Jesus and, and they want to be entertained. They want to be healed. They want Jesus to give them something, but they don't want Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. They just want to use Jesus. And there they are. And he, he, he went across the sea to be a missionary, and, and, and he went across the sea to get away from these people who didn't really want him, but now here, here he is back again, and they're pressing on him again. Remember, back in chapter 3, they were pressing so much, he actually had to get in a boat to teach lest they crush him. Right? And so here he is. And out of this great multitude, Mark, or should I say Jesus, identifies two people out of this great crowd, out of this multitude, Jairus and this hemorrhaging woman. These two couldn't have been more different. Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue. It's like being the head or president of the religious community. Now, this man was not a scribe or a Pharisee. He was not a religious leader that had responsibility of teaching. No, he was more like the caretaker of the synagogue. Right? Jairus would have been one of the the people of the community who had been selected because he's a very religious and righteous man and given this great gifted and privilege and responsibility of taking care of the synagogue. He had to require uh, acquire all the resources that they need for their services. He's the one that planned out the services, that planned the scripture readings for that day. This man was respected. This man was revered. No doubt the people... They had some input into his being selected as one of the rulers of the synagogue, right? And and so the people looked up to him. He was honorable. He was religious. People cared about him. He's one of the few people in, in Mark that's actually, they gave his name, Jairus. 
You see, that, that when he walked towards Jesus, the crowd parts. They get out of the way. They respect the man. They want him to be able to get to Jesus. And so where they're pressing and pushing and shoving and just trying to touch Jesus, they part so that Jairus can make his way to Jesus. And Jairus is distinguished. He is respected. He is honored. He is revered. But the woman couldn't have been more opposite. Verses 25 and 26 say, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much uh, under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. More than likely, this is a constant menstruation. She, she had this discharge of blood that, that came continually. But if you know Old Testament law, then you know that, that in those times, women were considered unclean. They could not participate in all the religious practices of the Jewish people. All right? So she could not attend the synagogue. She could not go to the temple and offer sacrifices. She, she was, was prohibited from doing that. But even more so, she was a social outcast as well. Because not only could she, was she defiled, but if anybody was in her presence if they touched her, if they sat in the same seat that she had been sitting in, they too would be considered unclean. They too would be considered defiled. They too would be considered unrighteous. And so they could not be around her either. So she's a religious outcast and a social outcast. And this woman is desperate. She's tried everything. She has gone and tried every, every home remedy, every medical opinion, every witch's brew trying to take care of this problem. She has spent all that she had. She's exhausted every resource possible, and it only made matters worse. She is dirt poor now. Unlike the rich Jairus, who more than likely the people that came in verse 35 to tell him that his daughter died were more than likely his servants. She was an outcast. And because she was unclean, she was treated as a leper. Guys, if people came near her, if they were walking down the path that she was walking on, she had to step aside and she had to say, unclean, unclean. She had no one. If she had a husband, he had right by Jewish law to divorce her. She had nothing. Absolutely nothing. She, the crowd didn't part for her. She had to get up in there and press and push and shove her way to Jesus. She was unknown. She was hidden in the crowd. She wasn't revered. She wasn't respected. These people, they couldn't be more different. Right? Just, they're night and day different. But with all their differences, they had two similarities. First, their dire circumstances. This woman had bled for 12 years. She has exhausted every possible means of trying to heal herself. She's done it all. And still, to no effect. She's heard this word about Jesus that He can heal and she will do anything to get to Him. Right? It doesn't matter. She's going to fight her way through the crowd to get up there to Him. And Jairus... His little girl is at the point of death. 
And like any good father, he is frantic to get help for her. He will do anything to make sure that his daughter is okay. They are both in desperation. The second similarity they have is that Jesus is their only option. So they're in desperation and Jesus is the only chance that they have. She's exhausted every form, uh, every possibility. Nothing works. She's got no more money. Jesus is it. Jairus, same way. His daughter's at the point of death. More than likely, the doctors have been there over and over and over again, and nothing has happened. Jesus is the only option. Now, reputation and riches and respect, they mean absolutely nothing. Their situation has leveled the playing field. All right? They are both on the same page, and Jesus was the only hope for both. And here's a lesson for us, folks. I want you to get this. When it comes to mankind, no matter how different we are, there are two great and impenetrable equalizers. An acute awareness of our desperate need, and that Jesus Christ is the only hope. Two great and impenetrable equalizers. An acute awareness of our desperate need and the sole hope of Jesus Christ. Friends, nothing else matters. Reputation doesn't matter. Your uncleanness, your baggage, it doesn't matter. It's all gone when it comes to those two things. Nothing else is of any consequence. There is no partiality there. Everybody experiences that same thing. And so for Jairus, this woman, and for all of us, salvation comes only through a desperate awareness of our need for healing, for cleansing, and for new life, which comes only through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone, with Him there is no partiality, only a recognition of our desperate need for Him. For as you recognize that we we may not need healing from hemorrhaging, We may not have a loved one who is at the point of death, but we all have a desperate need. Every single one of us in this room have a desperate need. The need to be saved from our sin. Friends, we all have rebelled against a good, holy, and perfect God. We have all set ourselves up as His enemy. We've all separated ourselves from Him. And apart from something that is outside us, there is no hope. We all share that desperate need. We have willfully placed ourselves under His just wrath. And apart from repenting of our sin and believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, then there is no hope. We will spend eternity under God's just judgment. We're all there. That is a desperate need that we all share. We need salvation from sin. And Jesus is the only hope for that. With Him there is no partiality. Second, despite our feeble faith, Jesus is tender and merciful. Now here's where we get to the the business on this faith that Jesus commends, right? Uh, Let's pick up in verse 27. She, the hemorrhaging woman, heard reports about Jesus, no doubt that He had healed many, and came up behind Him in the crowd in order to touch His garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now I ask you, is this a commendable faith? Is this the kind of faith that Jesus would praise and honor? Let's think about it. 
This woman heard that Jesus healed. Right? That he had healed many. And she came to him. She's not seeking the kingdom of God. She's not seeking salvation from her sin. She's not wanting to be with Jesus. She wants relief from her burden. She wants a remedy. Yes, she's desperate for it. She's desperate because she's exhausted every other effort. And she has nothing left. She has no money. She's been to all the doctors. She's been to all the, you know, sage-like people that might have some sort of home remedy to spread on herself. I don't know. But she's done all that, and it doesn't work. There was no other option. So she made her way through the crowd. And we think, oh, look at that. She, she was pushing and forcing her way towards Jesus. She wasn't going to let anything stop her, including the fact that she's defiling every single person that she touches and is willing to defile Jesus if only it means that she can be healed. If only it means that she can have relief. Selfish. I don't care who I touch. And her faith is superstitious. Right? She's trying to get up there just to touch his garment. You know, she's coming from behind. She wants to stay hidden. She wants to stay in anonymity. She doesn't want to be recognized. She doesn't want to be called out. She only wants to be healed. So she's like, okay, covert ops. If I come in behind and I touch his garment, I'm healed, and then I'm gone. Boom, out of there. It's like the Navy SEALs. It's awesome. This is what I'm going for. Again, this is not... What, what kind of faith is this? This is a desperate, ignorant, selfish, superstitious faith. That's what kind of faith it is. And I don't think Jairus is any better. I don't. Yeah, he's the ruler of the synagogue, and maybe Jesus has been to his synagogue before, and he's taught from the Old Testament of the things concerning himself. Maybe, but we don't know. Right? All we know is that Jairus is desperate. His little daughter's at the point of death, and if, if you have kids, you understand what this means. You will do anything to heal, see your daughter be made well. You will do, you will stop at nothing. Right? I, I, I think that Jairus, uh, that was his, that's where he's coming from. Right? And I think that had it so happened that the devil himself was there healing people, Jairus would have sold his soul to the devil in order to heal his little daughter to save her. I, I think so. I've got no proof of that, but that's what I think. I mean, uh, some people look at Matthew's account and they try to say, okay, look, look, Jairus clearly had faith because if you read Matthew 9, verse 18, it says that while Jesus was saying these things to, to the crowd, behold, a ruler came in and he knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. But what we have to recognize is that Matthew is giving a condensed version. He, he dedicates maybe a quarter of his, of his gospel account to, to what we see Mark doing. Mark, Mark elaborates a whole lot more. This doesn't explain why, why Mark says that, that, that these servants came and they told Jairus that his daughter had, di- had just died. And it doesn't explain why, why Jesus would then have to turn towards Jairus and say to him, Do not fear, only believe. It doesn't explain that. No, Mark, Matthew is giving a condensed account of this event. And I, again, I don't, I don't think that Jairus has any more faith than this woman. That his faith, too, is desperate, ignorant, selfish, and superstitious. And here's another reason why I know. At this point, not even the disciples know for sure who Jesus is. The guys that have been following him around, that heard him preach every single time. When Jesus calms the storm, they're like, who 
on earth is this? They still don't know. And so if they don't know, I don't think Jairus does. No, at best you might see a kernel of faith. But again, this is a selfish, superstitious, desperate, ignorant faith. And if that's what it means to have enough faith to be made well, sweet. We're good to go. I mean, seriously. What faith does it take? Not much. You just got to be desperate enough and pray enough and then boom, you're healed. I mean, if that's all the faith that it takes, then we need to be going to the hospitals right now, yo. We need to go there. We need to pray for all these people. And we're going to see just people coming out of the hospital left and right, just pulling out their IVs and they're out, right? Because that's all the faith that it takes. And I've got that much faith. I know that I have that much faith, that much ignorant, superstitious, selfish faith. I might not be desperate enough, but I can try to work on it, especially if Jesus throws me a bone and actually heals somebody. Man, I'll be desperate. But again, that doesn't explain why so many people for so many years have prayed and pleaded in absolute confidence and trust in God and never seen anything happen. This last um, couple weeks ago, Chip Stam died. I don't know if you saw the, um, the blog entry that I put um, on our church blog. Chip Stan was the worship leader at, at Clifton Baptist Church for uh, for a long time, and we've we've known him since 2005. For four years, he struggled with cancer. I've never seen a man with more faith than this man. I've never seen a man who has suffered and and thrown up, only to return with a smile on his face and talk about how great God is. And, and, and as his body deteriorated and fell apart, this man sang praises to God and and. His, he planned his own funeral service, and it was amazing. Folks, Like this man has shows tremendous faith, far more faith than this woman had, far more faith than Jairus had, but what good did it do? Nothing. You think there weren't other people in that crowd right then that had that much faith? The same sort of desperate, selfish faith that she had? Other people were pushing and pressing their way. Other people were touching Jesus. This is why when, Je- when, when Jesus said, who touched me, his, his disciples were like, who hasn't touched you? It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? They're all fighting. You think that they're not also pleading with Jesus? You think they're not also desperate for Jesus? You think that they don't also think that if they can just touch Jesus' garment that they can be healed? You think there weren't other people in that crowd that needed healing and were desperate for it? But Jesus heals her. Yeah, he just touched her. Now what we see here is that despite our feeble faith, Jesus is tender and merciful. Out of compassion, Jesus heard Jairus' pleading and went with him to his house. Out of mercy... Jesus healed this woman despite her desperate, her selfish, her superstitious and ignorant faith. Despite the fact that there were many other in that crowd that thronged around him that wanted the exact same thing. That had the same level of faith. Others that touched him and touched his garment with no effect. She was the one who was singled out. She alone among this crowd was healed. Out of love, Jesus wasn't content to leave her hidden in the crowd. He continued to look for her. He continued to call her out. 
And when, he's, when she stepped forward, he calls her daughter. When Jairus received word that his daughter had just died, it was Jesus who brought comfort to him by turning and looking him in the eyes and saying, Do not fear, only believe. And when he stood beside the bed of that child that had just died, Jesus stooped down and he took her by the hand and he looked her at her and he said to her, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And she did. And as everyone else stood there in awe and amazement at, what, at who he was and what he had just done, Jesus was more concerned that she get, be given something to eat. Jesus is tender and merciful. This is the same Jesus who we saw in chapter 1 in his baptism was given God-given authority. This is the same Jesus who taught with authority, not like the religious leaders of that day. This is Jesus who spoke and people were healed of diseases and infirmities and, and sickness. This is Jesus who speaks a word and demons flee before Him. This is Jesus who forgives sins, something that God alone can do. This is Jesus who says, Peace, be still, and the storm is completely calm because nature bows down to the One who created it. And this is Jesus that we see now who has the authority over death itself. This is Lord. He is the authoritative Son of God. And He's tender and He's merciful. Think about the last three situations that we've seen in Mark. Two today and the one two weeks ago. You've got a man who is enslaved to a legion of demons. Hopelessly and miserably trapped inside himself. And all he can do is cry out and wail and gash himself with stones. That is all that he can do. And Jesus, in a word, frees him. Think about this woman. For 12 years, she has exhausted everything she had to be healed of this infirmity to no effect. And Jesus calls her out and the blood dries up. A dead girl. You don't get more hopeless than that. And Jesus speaks and she's given new life. She is restored. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. Three miserable and impossible situations apart from the power and the mercy of Christ. Does this not comfort you? Does this not give you hope? Does this not make you glad and, and, and stand in amazement? Does it not give you life? Uncurable, unbearable, unattainable situations cannot overcome by you having enough faith but they can because of who He is, because of His authority, because of His mercy. Praise God that it has very little to do with us and everything to do with who Jesus is and what He has done. Praise God for that. Stand in awe and wonder of that. That's the point that Mark is trying to make here. Without partiality and despite our feeble faith, Jesus is tender and merciful. Third, extending grace that elicits, that brings forth true faith. 
So by now you might be asking that question, well, if this woman didn't have very much faith at all, why is Jesus commending it? Why did Jesus say your faith has made you well? Well, I think that the faith that Jesus commends is the faith that Jesus provides. Let's look again at verses 27-34. She's heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and he said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to them, You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Friends, by this time in Jesus' ministry, he had healed many, many. And you never see a connection between their healing and their faith. Not at all. In fact, the only time you see it so far in Mark was back in chapter 2 with the paralytic man. Right? Do you remember that? He had four friends who tried to bring this paralytic man to Jesus. They, they came to the house where he was. They couldn't get in. They couldn't force their way inside. So they went up on the roof, tore a hole through the roof, and let him down. Do you remember that? Jesus looks up. He sees their faith. And then he looks down at this man. And he says... Your sins are forgiven. Is that why they brought him there? Did they just kind of hoist him back up after that and take off? No. They were there with the same sort of ignorant and superstitious faith that this woman had. Right? That's all that they wanted was physical healing, just like she wanted. But Jesus gave him infinitely more, just like he gave her infinitely more. Again, at best... What they had, what's being commended is a kernel of faith, but it's a faith that Jesus himself provides. Because he proved that he had the authority to forgive sins by healing this man, didn't he? And that's the point. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. This is what we see here, that Jesus has the authority to make people well. So, no, when it comes to Jesus' praise of this woman's faith, I don't think that he's prizing the faith that she had before she was healed. The faith that believes, yeah, I I, I think that Jesus can heal me. That's not the faith that he's commending. No, Jesus is commending the faith that she had after she was healed. It's the faith that he gives by waiting on her, by calling her out, by looking for her. Jesus stops and he looks for her, not to chastise her, not to rebuke her, not, not to get after her. But he does so for her good. He doesn't have to wait. He's healed many people without calling them to this kind of of outward faith. But for her, he waits. For her, he stops. For her, he looks. For her, he asks the question, Who touched me? 
I mean, many believed that Jesus could heal. Many pressed their way to Jesus. Many were hidden there in the crowd, but only she was healed. And only she was called out. Now, I think the faith that Jesus is honoring is the faith in verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Suddenly, this woman is healed, right? She feels that something, but, but, but something more than, than besides this drying up of blood has happened to her. Right? She stood in fear and in wonder. She was in awe because she knew that at that moment, this was more than just a miracle worker. This is more than just some healer. Who is this man? And she came and she fell trembling at his feet because she knew that she was with Jesus. She knew who she was standing before. And Jesus calling her out and waiting for her to step out, he gave her the faith that allowed her to step out before him. And she made a public profession of that faith. It said in fear and trembling, she came out and she stepped before him. She bowed down before him and she told him the whole truth. I would have liked to have heard that testimony. We don't know all that it is. The faith that Jesus commended was the faith that trembled in fear as she stood singled out, yet changed by his power. Her faith was not the naive faith that Jesus could heal. Her faith was Jesus. Friends, think about this. Jesus is not calling us to a faith that remains ambiguous, that allows us to stay hidden in the crowd that is selfish, ignorant, and superstitious, no matter how desperate we are. Jesus is calling us to a public and active faith of being singled out. And Jairus, having seen all that has just happened with this woman, they're on their way to his house. All he wants to do is get there and get Jesus to touch her. That's all that he wants. But he stops and he waits and he sees this interaction. He sees Jesus confront and encounter this woman. He hears her profession. And then all of a sudden, these folks come up and they say, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. I think what happens if you put Matthew and Mark together is this. Jairus comes in desperation to get Jesus to heal his daughter. That's all he wants, physical healing. They're on their way. He sees this encounter, and he's stunned by it. He's stunned by her testimony. And then they, no sooner than, than that happens, they turn, they're on their way to his house, and then he's met by these servants that said, your, your daughter has just died. And now he is bewildered. He does not know what to do. He, he's standing in amazement. He, he's perplexed. He's, he's struggling. Do I hope? What do I believe? And then Jesus turns to him and looks at him in the eyes and says, Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And Jairus, Jairus looks back at the woman and then he looks at Jesus. Jesus' words ringing in his head. And there you see him saying, Jesus, my daughter has just died. But I believe that if you come and you lay your hands on her, she will live. Jesus' encounter with this hemorrhaging woman 
not only made her well, but it gave Jairus the faith to make him well too. Faith not that Jesus was a healer, but faith that Jesus is the Son of God with all the authority to overturn the effects of sin, whether they be sickness, disease, disability, or death itself. Cleansing, curing, and giving new life. The faith that Jesus commends is not the faith that they had before they were confronted with Jesus. It was the faith they had after they were confronted by Jesus. The faith that he himself provides. In this encounter, Jesus extends grace that elicits, that brings forth true faith in them. And then that brings up another aspect of the nature of faith that this passage addresses. True faith is a stretched faith. Right? It goes beyond intellectual assent to dependent action. But think about it. Though both Jairus and, and this woman were desperate, Jesus made them wait until they came to the end of themselves. All right? Think about this woman. Yes, she had bled for 12 years and she had exhausted all measure. But she came to the end of herself when Jesus said, who had touched me? And she stepped forward. Jairus was meant to wait until he got the hopeless news that his daughter had died. And he had to believe that Jesus could touch her and she would be made well. Both the woman and Jairus were challenged to stand on their faith. They were both challenged to overcome their fear. It wasn't enough to be healed. Jesus confronted her and called her out. He wasn't willing to just let her get healed and go. He calls her forward. He challenges her. When Jairus got the news of his daughter, Jesus challenged him not to fear, only to believe. He was challenged again when he got to his house, on whose side he was going to be on? Would he side with Jesus and, and, and shoo these mourners out and go and take his wife and stand before his daughter? Both of them made public profession of their trust in Jesus. She, according to verse 33, stepped forward and told the whole truth. But Jairus, no doubt, was there next to Jesus in verse 40 as he dismisses the mourners. And it was Jairus that told his wife to come. And they entered into that room where the little girl was. Their faith was stretched. It was forced to be active and to be public. And in that gap between that call to obedience and faithful, active submission was the grace of God present in the person of Jesus Christ. God's grace is the strength given to endure the challenge. You don't obey the call to God by sheer willpower. That gap between the call and obedience is faith. And filling that gap is Jesus. Friends, faith is not saying that you believe. Faith is the public activity of obedience. Faith is not believing that some tightrope walker can pick up a man and cross that span, can cross that height. Faith is 
being the man clinging to the tightrope walker as he goes across it. And for sake of illustration, the tightrope walker is Jesus. All right? You don't jump on his back and say, giddy up. Right? Jesus picks you up and you cling to him and he carries you across it. So without partiality, despite our feeble faith, Jesus is tender and merciful, extending grace that elicits true faith, bringing healing, cleansing, and new life. Look again at the main point there in verse 34. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Not only is the faith that Jesus commends here the faith that he himself provides, but there is a greater meaning to you you have been made well than mere physical healing. Jesus, yes, He's healed her disease. Yes, Jesus gives this this little girl that has just died new life. Yes, in, in encountering both of them, who were unclean, who were defiled by the very fact that she had this blood and and the daughter was dead, she was a corpse, Jesus took on their uncleanness and made them clean, right? Yes, all those things happened in the present and physical, but healing, cleansing, and giving of new life all point to a greater need and certainly a greater truth. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has made you well. But a better translation, a more accurate translation would be, your faith has healed you, or your faith has saved you. It's the same Greek word that is used for every act of salvation. The same Greek word that's used in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He is pointing not just to physical healing, but to spiritual salvation. To add to that, when Jesus says, go in peace, this is not simply a polite dismissal. Jesus, when he's referring to peace, is not just talking about some emotional disposition. Ah, I feel peace. No, he's talking, this is a relational term. It's talking about reconciliation to God. Right? That's what peace means in the Bible. It's about you and God in your, your relationship, not how you feel. He's saying to her, go in peace. You are no longer an outcast. You are no longer separated from God. Her greatest need was not healing from this discharge of blood. Her true desperate state was that she was a sinner. That she was an enemy of God under His just wrath. She needed peace with God. Her physical healing only gave evidence to her inward spiritual healing. That she is now a daughter of God. And that's why Jesus calls her daughter. He's saying to her, you are now a daughter of God. Your faith, the faith that I have provided, has saved you. So go in peace, knowing that you have been reconciled to God. I have given you evidence of this spiritual reality by physically healing you of your disease. That's what that verse means. When he raised Jairus' daughter, he not only gave new life to a dead girl, but he made alive a girl, according to Ephesians 2, that was dead in her trespasses and sins. In healing this woman with an unclean disease and in raising an unclean corpse from the dead to new life, Jesus took upon himself 
their uncleanness, their defilement, their unrighteousness. And yet, because of who he is, he was not made unclean. This unclean woman reached out and she touched Jesus, and Jesus made her clean. Jesus walks into the room, he bends down, and he touches the little girl, and he makes her clean. He touched the unclean corpse and gave her new life. And in taking on their uncleanness, they were made clean. Friends, this points to far more than physical healing or physical cleansing and giving new physical life. This points us towards a greater reality that for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, like this woman and like Jairus and his daughter, we have a desperate need. We need healing, cleansing, and new life. We have been born with a disease. A disease of sin nature. An unceasing and unyielding attitude towards rebellion against the good, holy, perfect creator God to whom we owe our lives. We have set ourselves up as his enemies and willfully rejected him, trying to live our lives without him, trying to live as if this is my world and I am God. I am right. I will do what I want. That is the nature of sin, and we all have it. We need to be freed from it. We all need new life. We need to die to this rebellion and be given new hearts that are at peace with God. We need, we need cleansing to be, to be cleansed of the sin that has defiled us because we have acted out of that rebellion in word and thought and in deed time and time and time and time again. And we need an infinite sacrifice in order to cover an infinite offense against an infinite, holy, and perfect God. You can't do that. You are not good enough. You cannot atone for that. And just like this woman, Jairus, and this little daughter, the only hope we have for healing, the only hope we have for cleansing, the only hope we have for new life is in Jesus Christ alone. He alone came and lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. Only He could lay His life down as a sacrifice, substituting Himself by dying on a cross for sin. Only Christ, because He is the Son of God, could pay that infinite ransom for sin against an infinite God because He and He alone is infinite. And He alone can give new life because He alone was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He alone can reconcile us to God because peace with God can only be given by Him. I think that deep down, no matter where you are, no matter what your state is right now, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we all know we have a desperate need for salvation. We've felt it. We'll tell you flat out, you are not good enough. You can never be good enough. All your works are as filthy rags before Him. Even the things we do as believers are, are tainted by our own sin. And the only hope we have is in Christ. 
The question is, will you come to him by faith? Not in, in the faith that you yourself have, but the faith that he provides. Will you hear him when he says, son, when he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that despite our feeble faith, you are tender and merciful. That you extend grace, a grace that we do not deserve, to give us true faith, to bring healing, to bring cleansing, to bring new life. God, I pray for the souls that are in this room, that they would recognize that there is more than just this physical life. There is more than just what they can see with their eyes, what they can touch with their hands. They know that. How can we explain thought? How can we explain emotions? How can we explain uh, the longing of the soul by merely the physical? We can't. God, I pray that we would recognize that this is your evidence, that you are all around us, that you are calling us towards yourself, that you are calling us out. And I pray, God, that we would be faithful to step forward as this woman in fear and trembling and fall down before you and profess the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, may we trust in his life. May we trust in his death. May we trust in his, in his resurrection so that we might have peace with you so that we might spend eternity with you. God, help us to see our desperate need and help us to see that Jesus is the only hope. And in that faith, the faith that you provide, may we be made well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.